Grace Family Church of Rhode Island presents Word of Hope, a sermon series with Pastor Luciano Cozzi. Welcome. The Word of Hope sermon series is a ministry of Grace Family Church of Rhode Island. It was instituted to bring sound teachings from the Word of God to as many people as possible. Our purpose is to offer you a message that is both practical and contemporary, that brings the Word of God to light in a way that makes sense in daily life. As you listen to this message, it is our hope and prayer that the Lord will bless you through it and bring you hope, comfort, and guidance. And now, Pastor Kotze. I have a feeling that I'm not the only one who looks deep inside and wonders, why me? I have a feeling I'm not the only one that looks at the task at hand and scratches his head and begins to wonder, how in the world are we going to do it? Or even more personally, how in the world am I going to do what the Lord has called me to do? And I have a feeling that I'm not the only one that looks around and sees a small group of people, sometimes the attendance being low, sometimes a little more, and wonders, how are we going to get the work done? And I have the feeling that I'm not the only one that looks outside, all that big stuff out there, and all that big money out there, and all the big resources out there, and all that big mess out there, and wonders, that's my field? How am I going to work it? We tend to feel weak. No, we tend to feel small. And in many ways we are, right? Because the Lord does not call the great things of this world. No, he, he could, and sometimes he has, but sometimes, most times, he has called the little ones like us. Is it fair, is it right to think that way? When we are caught in that line of thinking, are we really faithful? Or are we selling God short a great deal and somehow, in some way, kind of making him match our own perspectives, our own ideas, our own values? I have a feeling the Ephesians felt weak. There were issues between the Gentiles and the Jews. Yes, I know. But even beyond that, I have a feeling they felt weak sometimes. And I have a strong feeling that God inspired the Apostle Paul to remind them of something extremely, extremely important. Something that we tend to forget all too often. Something that we may perceive as being so big that may not even be true. And yet it is. In a passage that we just heard read a few moments ago in Ephesians chapter 3, beginning with verse 14, all the way to verse 21, the end of that chapter, it begins with the words, for this reason, okay? That is a good reference to something that comes before, right? But what comes before between verses 2 and 13 is only a parenthetical thought. It has nothing to do with this. Paul kind of digresses a bit. And so he goes, he refers back to verse 1, which says, for this reason. So Paul here starts a prayer in verse 1 of chapter 3 for this reason. Then he digresses because he, he perceives the need for the Ephesians to, to, to know something else. And then he reconnects to that for this reason to continue what he had just started writing. It's the same as we do often speaking. We start a sentence and we interrupt a sentence. We explain something and we'll go back to that sentence, and usually how we go back to the sentence by repeating the same thing we said at the beginning and reconnecting to them. 
So obviously, for this reason, refers to chapter 2, specifically chapter 2, verses 11 to 22. Now, I would like to read to you a quote from John MacArthur about the background to this prayer. The background that is, he summarizes it, and he summarizes it very well, what Paul refers to that he wrote previously that we know now as chapter 2. So here's what John MacArthur writes. Christ makes us spiritually alive in him. We are his workmanship, no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, and are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. For this reason, therefore, that our new identity, meaning that our new identity makes us in the dwelling place of God, Paul prays for the Ephesians to use the power their great status in Christ provides. Because God's power in those believers, Paul prays that God would enable them to employ the fullness of that power. Because believers are the habitation of the triune, all-powerful God of the universe, Paul prays that their unlimited energy from him would be manifested. The truth that omnipotence dwells within impotence, is so majestic, grandiose, and elevated that we would expect Paul to address God as the eternal king of glory or by some other such exalted title. And yet, your brother says, I bow my knees before the Father. I think John MacArthur had a point in here. Now, not only he summarizes chapter 2, those verses between verses 11 and 22 that Paul refers to as a basis for this prayer in a, in a great way, but it reminds us about the crux, the main point of that prayer. And I think I can put it in more common terms by simply stating, you have no idea who is in you. And he's praying that the Father will grant us the ability to understand that. Not only understand it, but live it. Not only live it, but tap onto it. So it is a prayer. He bows his knees before the Father. But the Father, he is. Now, he is the creator and sustainers of all the entire universe. Can you imagine that for a second? Like John MacArthur says in that brief comment, yes, the, that truth is so amazing that you would expect Paul to stress it. And yet, he's guided to reveal one important thing. He's a father, your father. Now, it's not a matter of when we were, you remember when we were children, my father is bigger than your father, okay? My, my father has more influence than your father. You don't know who I'm a son of, okay? It's not a game like that. But it's the realization that the creator of all things, the sustainer of the entire universe, the one who could claim it all, wants to be addressed as the, your father, death. And I find that to be quite profound to begin with. Verse 15, the New American Standard Bible actually has the best translation from the Greek, and NIV is a little bit different, but the NIV in, inserts in the translation a theological problem. I will not dwell too much on that, but the good translation is from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. What does that mean? Well, it does not mean, it does not mean that we are all part of the same because we're all brothers and sisters because all created by God. Like it would seem to mean from other translations. What Paul really intended to write and what God inspired him to write is that God is the prototype of all fatherhood and all family. 
The very concept of fatherhood does not come from humans, and the human condition comes from God. The very concept of family is not something that we attribute to God because of our human experience, not human first and then applied or attributed to God, but God first. And from him, we learn the concept of fatherhood. From him, we learn the concept of family. It is a concept. It is an idea. It is a structure. It is a blessing that comes from him. And so he is this prototype of all fatherhood and what it means to be family. But he bows his knees before, knees before God, before the Father. To request what? To request that he will grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. What well, Paul senses that the Ephesians are a little weak, just like all of us. And Paul is praying that God will grant them and you, notice that phrase, according to the riches of his glory. Wait a minute. That makes reference to the fullness of his divine perfection. According to the riches of his glory. How much glory does God have? How rich would that be? And he's asking God that according to the riches of his glory, according to the fullness of his divine perfection, he would strengthen you. How? With power through his spirit in the inner man. Let's break it down. Who's the Holy Spirit? God. Remember Genesis 1, the third, that the, the earth was for, in form and void. And the Holy Spirit was hovering over the surface of the abyss and made it all different. God, the creator of all things. All right, let me say that again, because I really don't think we get it yet. God, the one who created all things, is in you. Get it yet? I don't think so. And he's in you not just this vague concept. He's in you not just as a somewhat abstract presence. He's in you according to the riches of his glory. He is in you in the fullness of his divine perfection. What is in you is not just a little segment of God. And not just a little fraction of God. It's not just a little smell of God or a little hint of God or a little sprinkling of God. No, what is in you is the fullness of the Creator, God Almighty, in the person of the Holy Spirit. Are we getting that yet? That He will grant you according to the riches of His glory in the fullness of His divine perfection to be strengthened with power. No power to make us proud. No power in the sense of many people understanding. Not the power to say, I've got the power, right? No, I don't. I don't have the power. But he does because he's the creator and the sustainer of the entire universe. And it's not just a force. He is God himself who is in you, in the inner man. And so Paul prayed for strength. He prayed for strength for the Ephesians because he sensed that, look, guys, you may be looking at yourselves in the wrong way. You say, yeah, I, I know, but I, I, I can't do that. Look, if you ever find yourself saying, I know I should, but I can't, then tell yourself, I'm not getting it yet. I'm really not getting it yet. Because you tell me one thing that is not possible for the God who created and sustains the entire universe. Tell me one thing that is not possible for God. And you can't come up with anything, can you? But is anything impossible for God? God created all the universe. God sustains all the universe, and God dwells in you in the person of the Holy Spirit. And how can we then say, I can't, unless we follow it by the rest of the statement. I can't, but he can in me. 
Not me, but him in me, then I can. With him in me, then I can. And so the Apostle Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There is no limit. Herbie wears a shirt. My life, God walks on water, right? It's cute. It's great. It's awesome. Yeah, that t-shirt may save my life, God walks on water. But do you realize that if you needed to, you could walk on water as well? The only reason why we can't is because we will puff up our mind, be all proud, all, all stuck up. Hey, I can walk on water, you can't, you know, and, and be making a mess. At one point, the disciples told Jesus, Jesus, would you please increase our faith? Jesus' answer was to help him understand that faith is not something that you should quantify. It is not something you buy by the pound or by the ounces. He said, listen, if you had enough faith as a mustard seed, you could move a mountain. If you realize who is inside you, if you realize who is in you, if you realize who lives in you and really understand that, what in the world could stop you. Paul says, nothing. Because the one who is in you is greater than all. In fact, he is greater than the whole universe itself because he created it. He sustains it. He holds it up. Yeah, but my problems are bigger. My challenges and my issues are too big. You don't understand how big my challenges are. You don't understand how big my problems are. I may not, but he does. And he tells you, oh, come on. Don't you think I can deal with that? But Paul didn't stop there. You know, I could go on and on and on because that concept really needs to sink in our hearts deeply. But Paul didn't stop there. He said, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Why faith, first of all? Well, look, you need to trust God. So what do we do? Well, today is a day I've been confessing a few things to you. I'll confess one more. I join you in saying that we tend to trust ourselves, my way, because that's the way I understand, right? And that's the way I think is right. But faith says, not my way, your way. Not me, but you. Faith is what enables us to surrender to God and tap unto him and his presence in us, not as a power that makes us powerful, but as the almighty God who he is, in us and surrender to him and live in him and him in us so that Christ may dwell in us. It's not referring to the initial dwelling of Christ like what happens at conversion when, when we become children of God and, and God gives us a Holy Spirit and in, and, and in the person of the Holy Spirit, God himself is in us and Christ says, I will be in you and with you and so on. No, what he's referring to here is that Christ may be at home in your hearts. What does it mean to be at home? Well, home is the place where we dwell. It's a place where we function. It's a place where we are family, right? That home could be a beautiful building, it could be a shack, it could be a tent, it could be a cave, whatever it is, but what makes it a home is the fact that we are active there as a family, and that's where we dwell. So Christ is at home in our hearts through faith through that surrender of ourselves, through that acknowledgement that it's not about me, but it is about God in me. It's not me, but him in me, right? That we make him at home in us. And so we are being rooted and grounded in love. What kind of love? What, what are we talking about? First of all, we're talking about relationship with Christ and his love at work in us. His love that does two things. It fills our desire to be loved, because we all want to be loved, and if we are not 
careful, we start projecting that desire to be loved all around us, wanting others to feel that need that we have, and then we become manipulative and a whole bunch of problems come up. But God already pours his love, and his love is infinite. And if we accept that and dwell in it and allow him to dwell in us and are rooted and grounded in his love, you will see that that need is more than filled. Now, we still appreciate expressions of love. I mean, when my wife comes home and says, it's one thing, when comes home and says, oh, it's so good to see you, love you. It's a different story, right? It, it, it makes us feel different. But that deep, profound need for love is fulfilled and met by God. But not only he meets our need for love, God is not just a sidekick to fill our tank when we run on empty. God's presence in us overflows. And if we are grounded and rooted in his love, in his love in us, then that love will overflow from us and being displayed all around us because how, how can you, how can I contain God? We cannot contain him. We may choose not to listen. We may close our ears and eyes. I don't hear, I don't see anything and pretend. But when Christ is at home in our hearts through the faith, then we are rooted and grounded in his love. Then that starts pouring out. And you know what it says? That being rooted and grounded in love, you may be able to comprehend with all the saints, not just individually, only you, but with all the saints, what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of what? Of the love of Christ. We'll get to the verse 19 in just a second, but let's look at the verse 18 for a second. That we may be able to comprehend, that we may be able to do what? To understand. A moment ago, you, you, you heard me saying that I don't think we get it yet. I repeat it. I don't think we really get it yet. You may think, oh, I do, I do. No, you know what? I don't think we do. But we can. How? Through Christ dwelling and being at home in our hearts through faith. So there is a, a, an element of faith. And being rooted and grounded in that love, we may be able to comprehend, to understand what? The breadth, the length, the height, the depth, the immensity of the love of Christ. Now, why does he put it in those terms? Okay, look, we can try to just get that love of Christ. We can try to be just on the receiving side. And we are, by all means, we are on the receiving side because he has loved us beyond our wildest imagination. But if we're only on the receiving side, we stepped into selfishness and we shrink God down so much that we turn him into our sidekick. We are the knights in shiny armors. God is a sidekick providing what we need so that we can fight the battle, so that we can be the champions, so that we can be successful. But that's really upside down, isn't it? What here is talking about is being rooted and grounded in his love as Christ is at home in our hearts through faith. Then it enables us to understand how immense his love really is. And we understand it not only on the receiving side, but as it pours from us, we can see the effects of it. We can see how big it is. We can see how majestic it is, how immense truly is. The breadth of it, the breadth of the love of Christ covers every experience. It covers all the world. There is no limit to it. The length of it, nothing, nothing outlasts it. Nothing is too far for it. Nothing. The height, there is nothing too high for it. There is no elation, no success, no, no blessing that puts us outside of the scope of the love of Christ and the depth of it. There is nothing too low or too deep. 
there is no discouragement, no depression, no despair, no grief that is not covered by the love of God, by the love of Christ. It's immense. And as we understand the immensity of his love, we realize that the love of Christ truly surpasses knowledge. Because when you think you finally grasped, that's the moment you realize there is so much more. And so your heart stretches a little bit. And as my heart stretches a little more, and I think, oh, I'm, I'm getting it, that's the moment I realize there is infinitely more. And I realize I will never get it all because it's too big, too much. It's infinite, it's immense, but I'm not. And yet, that love, that God is in you. But notice what he says. Pay attention to verse 19. And to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Whoa! Now, it doesn't mean that you're going to be as good as God is. It does not mean that you're going to be as big as God is, or as tough, or hard, or strong, or powerful as God is. What it means is that when Christ is in you, when God is in you, when the Holy Spirit is in you, when the love of God is in you, what is in you is not just a portion of God. It's the fullness of God. You don't just get a little piece of him. You get him. Here's the deal. Let's be honest. Let's understand this, okay? You either get God or you you get nothing. But if God is in you, the fullness of God is in you. Do you measure up? No, of course you don't. I don't. You don't. We don't. But we grow progressively more and more as we're transformed by his presence, as his work and his work in us and his love in us. We are transformed. We are changed. We grow progressively toward that. But the fullness of God, yes, the fullness of God is in us because God himself is in us. And so Paul here realizes that even the prayer is not quite enough. And my words to you, are not enough. And the concept that we begin to receive, the concept we begin to understand is not enough. And so he's inspired by God to share with us this statement, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we can ask or even think. Do you really think that your thoughts and my thoughts right now as as amazing as they may be in the revelation that God himself is in us? in the fullness of God, not just a piece of God, not just a measure of God, but God himself is in us, in the person of the Holy Spirit, that Christ is at home in us. God, hey? Do you think that as big that thought is, it even begins to scratch the surface? Paul says there's nothing I can say, there's nothing I can even think to say that would even scratch the surface. Because God is able to do far more abundantly beyond what we can even think according to the power that works within us. Wow. So Paul says, basically, he's praying, but he's also reminding himself and us that as far as we can possibly think, we still don't get it. He's so far more, far more abundantly beyond. He noticed the stress, far more abundantly beyond. To him be the glory in the church and in Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. Yeah, we would say amen to that, don't we? But let's say amen in a different way. Let's bring glory to him in a different way. Let's bring glory to him in their realization, especially when we feel vulnerable, especially when we feel weak, especially when we feel helpless, especially when we feel like, look, I can't do that. That's the time we glorify God by saying, I can't, but you in me can. 
Not me, but him in me and through me. Not I, but you, Lord, in and through me. And there is nothing in the world, there is nothing in the entire universe, there is nothing ever created or ever existed, nothing ever in all of history and in all of creation that can ever stop that. Because it's not about me or you, but it's him in you, to him. Indeed be the glory in the church. Let not your, your church be weak. Because the greatest strength, the greatest power in the whole universe is right within the church. It's right within us. Let us not be weak. Because the one who is in us is the strongest of all. To him be the glory in the church and in Jesus Christ to all the generations forever and ever. Amen.